What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Mike Santoli. Kramer has the morning off. Uh, stocks do like to, to give back a little of Monday's rally as we get more companies cutting guidance. Snap last night, Abercrombie and Best Buy today. Dollar at a one-month low, and we will hear from Powell later on this afternoon. Our roadmap begins with the return of sell-off mode. Markets struggle to sustain that comeback following those weeks of losses. Plus, Snap struggles, those uh, sending the shares sharply lower. The company warning the economy, quote, deteriorated further and faster than anticipated. We also got some retail headwinds this morning. Best Buy lowers its outlook as it says macro conditions. Heard that before? Have worsened, Carl. Uh, David, we'll start with the market volatility, of course, after yesterday's rally. We're going to give some, not all. And the guidance cuts we mentioned, Mike, are being somewhat offset by the positive comments from Zoom, Honeywell, and some others today as well. And I think also just the fact that every single company disappointing or guiding, guiding down has already been punished. In other words, we've, we've traveled a certain distance along this path of downgrading what growth is going to look like. Uh, the recession talk, the idea that we're kind of shifting away from goods to... Uh, to services and uh, and you know the the, the unknown story of the, the digital ad uh, piece really interested to see how meta trades off this obviously gapping lower but maybe it gathers itself and people think like it's more of a snap issue than a broad digital advertising uh, slowdown but you know you have this undisprovable idea that maybe there's a recession not too far in the future and the Fed's going to over tighten and, and the rest of it and so when that's going to just not be disputable in any in any persuasive way we're going to have to you know uh, deal with a lot of this along the way um, the snap thing also brings up and this has not been too far uh, from us we're shadowed by the the year 2000 nasdaq meltdown that lasted two and a half years and that you went in waves first it was a valuation story and then the fundamentals fell away and the stocks chased you know the valuation compression and the and the earnings and it became this well tech is tightening its belt and tech basically is other tech revenues uh, is, is, is spending by one company is there. There's revenue. And I'm not saying we're there, but that's why I think you have the hair trigger. Right. As you can see right there, uh, Snap's going to open sharply lower, David. Hmm. I mean, it is interesting. They did uh, give us uh, a print on April 21st. And at the time, they said that their commentary was probably conservative. Uh, but now macros deteriorated further and faster than we expected. Others point out, you know, revenue less than $6 billion this year. It's not the bellwether that you would associate with, say, uh, a J.P. Morgan, which we got yesterday, with much different color. It's true. Uh, there are a lot of different cross currents, to your point, Carl. I mean, yesterday you hear from Jamie Dimon, who was seen as being somewhat positive, right? You know, uh, And there you see J.P. Morgan talking about SNAP as well, in terms of what they're seeing. Um, as you said, it was only a month ago, and that is taking people perhaps by some surprise. Uh, that said, when you look back at the CFO's comments from the April 21st earnings call, I mean, he did say forward-looking visibility is as difficult today or perhaps more difficult than at any point in recent memory. And again, this was only one month ago. 
uh, and also said they were concerned the operating environment ahead could be even more challenging, leading to further campaign pauses or advertising uh, budget reductions, both of which, of course, have occurred as a result of what they, or at least what they said, are these sort of macro conditions that are buffeting or, or, or hurting uh, headwinds for the business. You know, Mike, I do come back to you on this idea as to how much this is going to impact shares of, and there they are, uh, Meta and Alphabet. Um, Twitter, which has got its own special situation, to say the least, and Pinterest. Right now, the market does seem to be taking it more broadly and perhaps should. I mean, it's not like we didn't you know, see Walmart and Target not come in where we expected. There are questions. Will they pause advertising in some sort of meaningful way? Um, Marriott uh, saying some things to Andrew. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, Mike, how to read it at this point. Yeah. But I think the first reaction is going to simply be to sell. There's plenty of people who piled into Snap after that earning after the earnings uh, on April 21st, in part because they thought it was cheap there, given the growth rate yeah. of the company. The stock had fallen from 40 to 23 already. Obviously, a lot more downside that they were unaware of as little as a month later. Sure. And there's no doubt that initially it's going to be a dampening effect on anybody dependent on the digital ad uh, pipeline. I mean, Trade Desk, right? That's the play on, you know, digital ad platform, essentially. That's going to be down 10% this morning. So I'm not saying that that's irrational or that uh, that's not something that maybe we're going to have to deal with for a while. It's more about where it settles out. Um, You know, look at the lows for Meta over this period. Um, You know, it's not at at the open going to challenge those lows. Right. So the 52 week low uh, in Meta is, you know, what is it in the, you know, 170s or something. It's um, it's it's clearly not necessarily going to be the place it's going to go the way of snap. And I do think there's another piece of this, which is have we ever been sure that Snap was a good business? Um, necessarily, in the moment, I mean, maybe someday. And it's a great product, and it had an audience everybody wanted that now TikTok has a lot of. Uh, but $7 billion in losses over five years. Uh, the share count's up by a third in five years because they hand out the equity uh, to employees. So I think there's some, some exacerbating issues with Snap that's a little more than oh, no, the digital ad pie is not growing as fast as we thought. That's interesting. Morgan Stanley had a chart yesterday of companies where stock-based comp is underwater. Yeah. Uh, Snap's on the list, I think about maybe 9%, but nowhere near the likes of, say, a Stitch Fix or a Peloton or a Lyft even. Uh, Pretty interesting. But that's going to raise the prospect of having to pay in cash from here on out. It's it's an overhang. It also echoes the 2000 to 2002 story. Back then it was about we were going to reprice option strikes lower and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, as for the, oh, go ahead, David. Sorry. No, I mean I think that's an interesting point, guys. Uh, you know, and and I've been hearing anecdotally about other companies. I mean, you think of Netflix, for example, that has seen such an incredible fall in its stock. Uh, many employees there are well compensated with cash, but certainly also expected that their stock compensation would grow dramatically. That has been the exact opposite for shares of Netflix. And it does lead to people looking for other jobs, uh, which I've been hearing about as well. Uh, you know, you're. When you're when you're watching what you expected was your nest egg down as much as 60, 65 percent or more uh, in a year, uh, Carl, it can motivate you to look elsewhere, perhaps for something that may not have as large a stock component when it comes to your overall compensation. Yeah. yeah. Goldman had a piece yesterday talking about large consumer companies that referenced the labor market in the last couple of months. They counted 60 overall, about a third of them 
noted better labor supply, yeah. better labor availability. And so Goldman says they think wage growth could go from 5.5 five to 4.5 at the end of the year as we get a little more people looking for jobs, to David's point. As for the broader market, a lot of discussion today about the tone in Davos, how pessimistic it is. You had David Rubenstein yesterday say recession may not be that far away from where we are unless the Russian-Ukraine conflict ends quickly. Uh, and then Ray Dalio today talking about how the Fed and individuals, just about everybody, is a seller of something. Take a listen. Federal Reserve is going to sell. Individuals are selling. Foreigners are selling. And the U.S. government is selling because it has to fund its deficit. So there's going to be a supply-demand problem. That means that it produces a squeeze. So big macro thoughts from Daly. We know sort of his worldview. Yes, very focused on on the big structural flows and, and what the Fed is doing and, and whether, in fact, uh, you know, you're going to have the offsets. Is the Fed shrinking its balance sheet really selling? Um, is the fact that the U.S. deficit has been shrinking and therefore reducing net issuance of treasuries not an issue? So I look. This very good articulation of the macro stance, I think, by the big kind of systematic, we follow the trends, macro folks, uh, that's been in place. The point about individual selling is, I think, a very salient one, which is if you look at how people are positioned in equities, everybody is cut back really toward below normal exposures, probably hedge funds, you know, fund manager cash, except for households. Households still have a high equity exposure. They hate bonds more than they're scared of stocks. That's been the rule. The, flow, the outflows from bonds until very recently have been pretty severe. So is that another shoe to drop? That's the question. I think Goldman's been asked and other firms have been, been asking that. Uh, but you know what? Market being down 20% takes care of that. <laughs> it takes care of the equity exposure uh, over time, so we'll see. Uh, David, you've spent a good amount of time talking about positioning, at least in hedge funds. I must say, insider buying, which we have ignored in the past at our own peril, uh, continues to add to the list. Yesterday it was Avis. First time since March 2020, where you now have buying on the insiders uh, exceeding selling. That's going to be something to watch. Yeah, that's a, that's a positive sign, uh, Carl. You know. But it is, when, when I speak to asset managers, many of them are just, uh, frankly, confused, uh, more so than I think they've been in a long time, given just so many of the cross-currents, even in the conversation we've just had for the last 10 minutes. Uh, how things play out from here, this is a somewhat different environment. You know, yesterday, Jamie Dimon even, at the investor day for J.P. Morgan, pointing to it a bit in terms of a strong economy and the consumer in good shape, but then talking about big storm clouds as well, but they may dissipate. Um, you know, we say it over and over again, uh, but it is seemingly unpredictable time right now with inflation so high, the Fed raising rates. And yet, Mike, again, and I said this to you yesterday, I, I, everybody wants to talk about a recession. I, I just every conversation now ends with, are we in a recession, which I still am finding a little difficult to to imagine things have changed that quickly. But perhaps they have. If we do enter a recession, though, with high inflation, it's not clear exactly where the Fed's going to be able to sort of do in terms of its real flexibility. Well, that's exactly the issue. It's not so much that, um, oh, you know, we have this slowdown. It's, it's later in the cycle. You know, the Fed is tightening. We know how this goes. It's the perception that there's not really an easy exit uh, from that situation if, in fact, inflation remains high. And you can't, you can't look to the market and say, you know, the market's sniffing it out. 
the market's going to sniff it out if inflation goes down because we have no confidence in that at this point, simply because we've been proven wrong about transitory uh, inflation and all the rest. So I do think that makes a lot of sense. But also, it, it's been manifesting itself in a pretty dramatic way price-wise because of where we started in valuations and because of where we started where the excesses had had kind of built up and and so that process underway of just the standard okay you can't pay as much for every every dollar of earnings when the fed's doing this and rates are up uh combines with we might be kind of using up this expansion uh, more quickly than we thought right and i don't think the evidence is there if you look at the really concrete leading indicators of recession they're not in place yet it's, it's the market kind of over, always over-anticipating and expecting that uh, you're going you're gonna to actually feel it before it's in front of that you. That was J.P. Morgan's point yesterday, yeah. that the model using financial indicators That's is right. way ahead of the macroeconomic indicators in terms yeah. of what they say is often a false positive. That's right. And it, it happens along the way. It, it happened in, you know, arguably it happened in 2018 and arguably happened in, in 98, arguably happened in 2011, right? You sort of thought that you were on the knife's edge. What's interesting this time is nominal growth because of inflation is not going to be negative. And so corporate top line maybe doesn't suffer that much. And also the final piece is this, the S&P 500 is most of it selling stuff as opposed to services. Right. And that's in the crosshairs right now. Right. Just the way the S&P overachieved coming out of the bottom, it's, it's, it's a headwind now. Yeah. Uh, take a look at futures here. We'll get to some of the other names. It's going to be a busy week for retail, as you know. And we will get to what Best Buy said. Uh, ANF is in there, Ralph Lauren, Chewy, and of course, Zoom. A lot more squawk on the street is straight ahead. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. We are on track for a lower open following that big rally to start the week. Joining us this morning, Oppenheimer Asset Management Chief Investment Strategist John Stolzfus and Allspring Global Investment Senior Portfolio Manager Margie Patel. Great to see both of you guys. Uh, Margie, your point uh, late last week was that um, uh, forward guidance is working in terms of the, the tightening of conditions and the markets baking that in well ahead of what Fed, Fed funds itself has to do. Yes, that's right. The Fed has talked a very tough game, and I think maybe they hoped that the market would do their work for them. They wouldn't have to raise rates so quickly or so often. But I think the market has gone a little ahead of itself, and now people are genuinely fearful of all the Fed's talk about continuing to raise aggressive liquidation, raising funds rate by a point, and they really have scared the market to death. And if they would pursue on that path, I think, in fact, you would have the beginning of the recession late this year or in 23. So what parts of the market do you think have overcorrected into the value side? 
Well, I think there's been a lot of overcorrection, but I think it's there are two parts of the market. Uh, price earnings ratios for the whole market has come down maybe four or five turns, but those specific sectors that did so well during the, the growth phase, that is small tech, small biotech, small tech with no earnings, the SPACs, the most speculative parts of the market that did so well are collapsing, not because of rates going up, but simply because people are looking at the fundamentals and saying these companies simply don't have the fundamentals we thought. So those are the sectors that have really gotten pounded. I don't think they're coming back. I think it's all the rest of the market that's got value price, and that's where we're looking to, uh, to find the most attractive places. John, um, how should we think about the earnings outlook, because we were talking about how valuations have certainly come back toward the neutral zone, um, but that depends on earnings coming through in the second half. And, and obviously, we're getting some of these consumer companies downscaling what they expect. Uh, so where do you think we're going to land there? Uh, I, I think we'll probably uh, land a, a lot better than what people think, Mike, just as uh, in this last quarter. You know, for Q1, people don't even talk about Q1. and. Uh, uh, earnings in technology were up 10%, as I recall, on back of uh, revenue growth of about 12%. And that's uh, with uh, the vast majority of companies having reported. Uh, and across other sectors, my recollection is off of the top of my head that uh, nine sectors are reporting positive earnings. Uh, and all sectors, and some, mind you, very little, I think of communication services, reporting uh, a positive uh, revenue growth. So I think just like you said a minute ago, I think we, we got to look at revenue growth. It's a good forward indicator. Uh, and where we are right now, it's, it, whenever the Fed is in, a, in the start of a Fed funds hike cycle, people get out of line uh, with projecting negative things. Uh, it, whether you go back to uh, 2009, which was a recovery period parallel to this, uh, or whether you go back to 1994 and things worked out yeah, I mean, there's no doubt uh, things worked out. I, I, I do think, though, that, um, you know, maybe the market uh, is telling us that it has to get too cheap as opposed to just fair, uh, John. I, I just, you know, if you look back at where we bottomed, you had the 2018 sell-off in, in early 2016, you did seem to build in a little more of a valuation cushion. So uh, do you think that we're, we might overshoot in that direction? Well, yeah, I think we likely will, although, you know, the forward handle on the S&P uh, as of last Friday was was 16 and change, and I think it was headed towards 15 at one point. Uh, we've got to consider that the forward valuation has come down, and not just on the S&P, but if you look at the, the mid-caps, the S&P 400, the S&P 600, which is a higher quality, uh, and, and even the Russell 2000. Uh, the multiples have been coming down at levels that are going to be uh, regarded as very attractive, we'd have to think. Hey, Margie, in terms of uh, global growth, um, I wonder what you think of the risk of defaults in emerging market uh, debt, things, dislocations that can happen with the, with the market's legs a little bit wobbly, not necessarily recessionary, but definitely weaker than before. Yes, well, what's interesting about this cycle is, one, 
we're entering this fearful period at a time where the U.S. economy is very well balanced. We don't really have any sectors that are worrying, unlike other parts of the world. Emerging markets are loaded with debt, mostly highly dependent on China. China's growth has slowed down. And in fact, I believe that thanks to COVID and some other things, our growth is actually going to be exceeding China's growth showing you the strength of the economy. And really around the world, uh, there's so much going on, most of it negative. It's, that says to me that there's a lot more risk as far as earnings disappointment and economic growth and the risk of defaults, which we've already started to see pop up in the emerging markets. Makes the U.S. look pretty good. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a good time to have uh, your radar beyond the borders of the U.S. Uh, and overseas as well. John Margie, thanks for uh, getting us started on this Tuesday. We'll see you next time. In the meantime, take a look at futures here, still in the red, I think off the worst levels of the morning. Uh, Squawk on the Street continues in the opening bell in less than 10 minutes. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This morning, we are remembering our good friend Mark Haynes, who passed away 11 years ago today. Mark was the founding anchor of Squawk Box, a co-anchor of Squawk on the Street. We remember Mark for his knowledge and wit, for being a champion of the small investor, and of course, his steady hand during the dot-com bubble, 9-11, and the financial crisis. Speaking of that crisis, remember Mark called that stock market bottom of 2009. We still affectionately call it the Haynes bottom. Our thoughts are with Mark's wife, Cindy, his son, Matthew, and his daughter, Meredith, on this day. Zoom shares are up in the pre-market off of the uh, session highs. The company did post better than expected quarterly earnings and is raising its profit outlook. Zoom has been shifting its emphasis to products aimed at the hybrid workplace amid waning demand for its video conferencing services as people return to the office. A lot of discussion before the print yesterday, Mike, a name that was once 25 times sales, now yeah. five times sales, but with a good cash hoard yeah. and maybe a good example of how you pivot post-COVID. Uh, yeah, went from 25 times sales to 22 times forward earnings. You go down 80% in price, and that's uh, how it is. It's, it's now kind of just a normal company, right? Uh, sales expected to grow next year 10 to 12%. Um, it's, it's a blocking and tackling business. And yes, you know, with some kind of uh, ability to expand and reinvent along the way, it's, uh, it's obviously does, it loses the buzz, but it has uh, a much more sort of tangible place, I think, in the, you know, in the, in the tech uh, universe. Right. And, st- and sort of uh, will be important in the ongoing conversation about the future of hybrid work, uh, the future of IT budgets, yeah. how they consolidate their vendors, how they, uh, how they demand their workers to come in or not. Right. That's the whole point. 100 percent. And, uh, and, you know, David, the question with these things always is, you know, do the big companies just essentially absorb that type of function, right? I mean, is Microsoft not going to be sitting there and saying, oh, Zoom can have its uh, its niche? So uh, I, I think a much more uh, sort of familiar story 
based on kind of past tech evolution cycles. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting, th those numbers, by the way, were great, Mike. 25 times revenues to 22 times earnings sort of puts in perspective what's happened to many of these stocks. And, of course, we see it with Zoom, which once had a more than $100 billion market value. But, Carl, back to the office. I mean, they're saying people are returning to the office. Uh, I don't know. I'm not seeing that much evidence of it yet. Uh, we seem to be stuck at somewhere around 40 percent, perhaps, on a, any given day. And here we are. How many years into this thing? Two years and three months, I guess, at this point. Um, you know, they keep calling it the new normal. It's just the normal at, at, at this point. Uh, hybrid work is is the normal. Um, I can certainly say that as well, being here back in our uh, EC headquarters. Uh, you know, don't look for a lot of people around because they won't be here. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, obviously, there are some, you know, regional variations in that, uh, I could say. If you're in the middle of the country, it's a different story. But also the question is, doesn't everybody have the Zoom subscription? So it's more just like, well, people aren't going to get rid of it. It's not clear that that means a lot of future growth based on hybrid work. Yeah. I keep thinking what Ken Griffin said last week. Having everybody back together has been really powerful in driving forward our business. It's nice to be in a room and not have to deal with 25 different distractions. We'll see. We'll see whether or not um, safety overrides the labor cycle, if in fact the labor cycle really makes a turn. Uh, let's get the opening bell here and the CNBC real-time exchange. And the big board, it's Nicolette Bank Shares, based in Wisconsin, celebrating its transfer from the NASDAQ and at the NASDAQ multimedia company, Avid Technology, marking its annual investor day we haven't yet gotten to best buy really mike uh, yep. the first miss in about five years um revenues were ahead comps down uh eight five we were looking for nine four and they do cut their guide actually it was trading good in the pre-market yes. which some said well was it's actually a, it's it's green yeah. i mean it's up half a percent at the open I just think that, you know, it's down almost 20% month to date before this. So, you know, right after the Target Walmart announcements, people really sent, sort of took flight from a lot of the, the larger retailers. And we also did know that um, most of the pain, while yes, people are worried about durable goods, high-end, you know, hard goods like, uh, like Best, Best Buy sales, the real pain is in clothing in terms of what people are worried about in terms of the overhang and the discounting. So it seemed like a reasonable outlook, at least at the outset. Um, super cheap looking stock, if you believe that, you know, the cash flows hold up. Uh, you know, it's cheap on par with, you know, the Coleses and the, and the gaps of the world where they're priced for, for you know, longer term decline. Uh, so maybe that explains why it's able to get up there a, a couple of percent after uh, really being cut in half from the highs, Best Buy. Yeah. Uh, they say, David, our guide would not assume a full recession at this point. And obviously, if that were the case, we'll continue to update. Uh, expectations, I think, would characterize our guide more as a softer environment, not a full recession. Uh, but speaking of inventories, I don't know if you've seen some of these inventory numbers. Uh, at Abercrombie, yeah. up 44. You remember Target was up 43. Walmart was up 24. Kohl's was up 40. So... If you're looking for signs of disinflation, at the very least, Absolutely. you might turn to a pair. You have the makings of disinflation. And, of course, six months ago it was, boy, you want to be one of the big box stores because they can get the product. Right. <laughs> They're the ones who are going to be able to cut through a lot of the, the shipping friction, David, and, and, and essentially yeah. at least have enough, and now they have too much. You know, I, I do wonder, Mike, well, you know, was there any, and I, I don't know, I, I've heard this anecdotally, was there uh, overordering in part to, to um, make sure, given the supply chain, constraints that you had enough product and so 
Was there, you know, more ordering that might have even been uh, deemed appropriate given the current demand that we saw? And obviously now they've got a lot more product on hand, perhaps because of that, because you just didn't know how much you were going to be able to get because right. the supply chain was so unpredictable. No, I think I think that's exactly right. And, and all the all the chains were focused on get as much as possible. They were operating on the premise that we have this rare window where markdowns are not a thing and people are accepting full price. And, and so there wasn't maybe perceived as much of a risk to having too much inventory. And, uh, you know, here's where uh, here's where we sit. Um, and, you know, I guess there was, you know, at some point pent up demand for clothing. Right. People thought the back to uh, back to office thing was going to be a thing. And uh, I don't know. It, it's I'm sure it goes chain by chain in terms of what the missteps might have been. But uh, combined with an overall slowdown and gas prices doing what they're doing, which, if nothing else, you know, uh, depletes what you can spend on, on on other things. There's Corey Barry, of course, talking about those trends in the second quarter. Uh, and their expectations. But Best Buy doing okay, uh, certainly versus the likes of Snap. Let's take a look. We talked about it at the top of the show. Um, the company, of course, surprising many when yesterday uh, during uh, the J.P. Morgan conference and then following up with an 8K filing, it says it's likely revenue EBITDA will come in below the low end of our guidance range. Um, the macro environment, uh, macroeconomic environment has definitely deteriorated further and faster than we expected when we issued our guidance for the second quarter. By the way, that was only on the 21st of April. And you can see what that is doing to shares of Snap, down another 36%. As I said earlier, the stock did not perform particularly well after the last, well, after those quarterly numbers. And in fact, some saw as an opportunity. You can look back in April to sort of pick it up in the mid-20s, given what appeared to be a fairly uh, decent earnings multiple. Back to sort of what you were talking about, Mike. These tra- uh, companies that had traded at multiples to sales that were in the well into the double digits falling significantly so much so that their earnings actually were more in the, let's call it, multiple of the 20s or something like that. Not good enough there, though. Uh, and again, we do find ourselves wondering, well, what exactly did change in such a short amount of time in terms of that macroeconomic environment that they are citing, whether it's supply chain, whether it's uh, just inflation, Ukraine uh, and other things as well. Interest rates also. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all those things that affect their cl- their customers. The unknown piece is when there's a little bit of belt tightening, and when the advertisers are looking to, uh, I guess, prioritize where they really want to to focus their spending. You know, is, is Snap a little bit on the outside, or they're getting less than their share? And of course, they still have the overhang of the of the Apple privacy uh, changes and things like that. I did mention, you know, take a look at how Meta does trade. You know, just for benchmarking say and it closed to under 175 meta uh, before they had that the earnings they had a little bit of a relief trade a big relief trade up toward earnings and so we haven't gotten back down there and see if it uh, tries to get some traction above its own lows of course a very different story because it's down so much already but also has that very large earnings base uh, that have you know has attracted a lot of value investors Carl, uh, you know unlike the past yeah we're gonna watch social media for sure and we've mentioned the potential effect on uh, Twitter, of course, shareholder meeting coming up. Uh, Webb Bush last night says 54.20. Dan Ives says is out the window. Currently a 60% chance in Dan's view that Musk tries to walk and use this spam account issue as the scapegoat uh, with Snap's disaster quarter warning. Accepting a lower bid price would be a much better alternative for the board, uh, Webb Bush argues. Yeah. As for Tesla, a couple of interesting things, uh, David. One is Kathy Wood bought 
uh, 16,000 shares of Tesla, first time since February. And then uh, Bernstein, uh, Tony Saganaki comes out and says that a fall to 400 on Tesla would require Musk to sell uh, about 13 million shares. So we continue to watch uh, his risk here uh, as he tries to buy this company. Yeah, I, listen, I, you know, uh, respectfully, uh, many would disagree with Dan Ives. They would go back to the contract, uh, which is very straightforward and requires Mr. Musk to buy this company at 5420 and does not have a lot of outs and has specific performance in the equity. Uh, and it would have to be fraud on the part of uh, Twitter, essentially, knowing that, in fact, they were misstating the number of, uh, uh, of bot accounts or uh, fake accounts on the on the platform. Um, could be very difficult for him to prove that. But again, nothing says that if you're Twitter, you don't say, all right, we'll give you a little bit of a discount if you will give us a far larger reverse break fee and promise, you know, and, and no way or how are you ever getting out of it from here. Uh, but man, that is one enormous spread. Uh, but of course, also perhaps being pressured as well on the fundamentals as a result of what we've been talking about with Snap. Guys, Pinterest also down 20%. Uh, yeah. In the control book, can we can we put up a three-year Pinterest because uh, you know that gives you a look at Twitter and Tesla in terms of by the way great sales there by Musk when he did sell at the 900 uh, range at least as much as six billion in stock to help uh, pay for uh, Twitter. There's Pinterest. Look at that, Mike. It's uh, at this point it's a total yeah. almost a total round trip uh, from where it was uh, you know over three-year period. Actually, does yeah. that say down 30 percent? Yeah, but uh, just gives you some sense as to what's happened to so many of these one-time multiple companies. Of course, remember briefly, PayPal seemed to be interested in buying it, although it was never clear exactly what was going on there. Exactly, and that's one of those little spikes on the way down was that, uh, that, pay, that PayPal news. Um, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. And to your point about, about Twitter, I mean, if you think about how the spread is arrived at, uh, it's essentially some probability that the deal gets done as it is meant to at 5420. Um, then applying that probability to where you think that stock would trade if there were no deal. Um, and so that, that assumed level that Twitter would trade at, absent a deal, probably has gone down a lot. I, it doesn't account for the whole spread, which is over 40% upside right now from, from where Twitter is trading. But it is, it is a dynamic uh, story, uh, also related to just the willingness of, of arbitrageurs to, to really step in and, uh, you know, and make that bet, underwrite uh, that, that, that probability. David, yeah. I know you like to watch uh, Bilson over at Gordon Haskett. Uh, he says Snap's problem is Musk's problem. Um, now, we've heard people say Musk plays hardball, and he might get an adjustment like the one LVMH got at Tiffany. But that was a 2.6% haircut. Mm -hmm. Musk doesn't need one of those or even five of those. Ten Tiffany's is more like it. <laughs> None of this will make it easier for Musk to draw in more investors or keep the ones that were early recruits. No, all true. Uh, and uh, Don's very good and always enjoy reading uh, his stuff, which is usually dead on. Yeah, listen, Twitter's fascinating, continues to be. And again, that spread is enormous, as Mike just pointed out, for any number of reasons. But uh, it is going to be a real test. Still waiting for them to sue him. I, I, that's the one question I keep asking. Um, you know, why haven't they as yet uh, just sort of started the war? Um, well, they David, just, keep just, uh, just on that point, what what um, what specific landmark or, you know, uh, responsibility that Musk has to deliver something absent just, you know, finally closing the deal would would be the trigger for them to say we have to sue you to adhere to the deal? Well, uh, reasonable best reasonable best efforts. I, I, I uh -huh. would argue he's not making them right now, uh, you know. Yeah tweeting constantly and questioning whether there's fraud at a company that you're buying. 
doesn't appear to be your reasonable best, best efforts to get the deal done. So he's in breach right there, you could argue. Yeah. Um, guys, speaking of arb, uh, arbitrage, let's get to, uh, obviously, we talked about it a lot yesterday, Broadcom and VMware. I told you yesterday, Thursday was the day they had previously been focused on as a deal announcement. That appears to still be the case. Uh, yesterday, I think it was the Journal or Dow Jones reporting roughly 140 a share. That is, uh, from what I'm hearing, correct as well. And again, it's roughly, it could be a bit more, a bit less. Uh, but part of it will depend on the performance of Broadcom stock, because I can also tell you that it is roughly a 50-50 cash stock deal. So that will give people at least some sense here in terms of what we're talking about. Again, 50-50 cash and stock. Uh, and that is new um, in terms of at least what people want to understand. Maybe we want to actually show them that at the bottom of the screen as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, another question, of course, if they do announce this deal will be whether, in fact, uh, and how long it takes to get antitrust approval. Uh, you're going to need China. You're going to need Cepheus. Uh, that should not be an issue here. But remember, of course, some people still remember well that uh, that Hoctan was not successful in buying Qualcomm, in part because Treasury stepped in and said no. And that was Cepheus. Um, that doesn't appear to be in play here, but China certainly will be important. U.S., you never know. It wouldn't seem to be an issue, perhaps, in infrastructure uh, software, but nonetheless certainly could take at least, if not more than a year, to get any deal done. But again, roughly 140, roughly 50-50 cash stock split. Uh, Carl. All right, guys. Uh before we go to break, let's take a look at the bond report. As we said, we're going to hear from Powell around 2.20 East Coast time. Uh, I think the remarks are pre-recorded, but something to keep in mind, obviously, ahead of the Fed minutes, which come out tomorrow. You got the VIX uh, still sub 30, 10-year uh, cooling off below 279. I'll keep an eye on that with the Dow down 163. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here with breaking news. Our May preliminary read on S&P Global PMIs. For the manufacturing headline, expecting 57.7, darn close, 57.5. And if we look at the services, 53.5, lighter than expected, sequentially following 55.6. And it is the weakest, well, since January when we're at 51.2. And finally, the composite, 53.8, well below the 55.7 expected. Sequentially, it follows 56. And it is also the lightest since January at 51.1. These are a bit of a disappointment. New home sales at top of the hour. Squawk on the Street will return in two minutes. I am planting this weekend, so do not bother me. Okay. All, All right. right. I know you want to bother me. I am putting in my tomato plants, so stop it. All right. I'll leave you alone. We'll be looking for pictures, Jim. Oh, yeah. Mezcal and tomato plants. Is never Always in a suit. Man gardens with a tie. I'm going to do it. I'm going to garden in a Brioni just for you. Okay? 150 okay. count? Okay. Yeah, this is, look, this is an Hermes gardening tie. That's Jim at the end of Friday's show outlining his gardening plans for his time off. He did follow through, as seen in his tweet from yesterday, saying, quote, when I garden, I always go, Brioni. And I replied to him, David, he's a man of his word. He is, although I wanted to see him, like, down on his knees with his hands in the ground, and I wanted to see that Brioni suit have some dirt on it, you know? I, I uh, that was like he was, you know, here's my garden, I'm in my suit, right? I don't know. I don't know, Carl. Like, is that there really was what a, I was looking for? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. There was a stock point to this, Mike, and that yeah. was late spring, 
for Depot had some effect on some of these April quarters. Well, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, it's great that he's getting it in there because a lot of the country in ag land, uh, they haven't gotten enough planted. Uh, because of weather. But it also gives new meaning to that whole, you know, what am I, a farmer? When somebody says, why are you so dressed up? So he does both, I guess. <laughs> that was from 30 Rock. That was, that was there you uh, go. I remember Jack that Donnie. He was in a tuxedo. He said, yeah, lemon, what a farmer. <laughs> All right, let's move on. CNBC's continuing its coverage of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. And Sarah Eisen joins us now. And she's got a lot more for us. Sarah. Hi, good morning. David, Carl, and Mike, just wanted to share some some color from the ground here where talks are underway from the world's top policymakers and CEOs from around the globe. Uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the market here and as, as you guys are talking about and, and what the stock market is telling us about whether the U.S. is going into recession, about how much the global economy is going to slow. I just wanted to share a little bit with you from a panel that I moderated just a, a few moments ago here as part of the World Economic Forum, which, which hosts panels all day long, because the, the topic was, are the markets disconnected from reality? And, and there were some interesting comments and some actionable ideas that came from it. Katie Koch, who is the CIO of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, actually says that there's a great long-term opportunity in some parts of technology. She mentioned biotech, for instance, which is which is sharply underperformed. She mentioned software and cybersecurity. And she also said that some of the warnings we're getting right now at Corporate America, we're, we're, we're talking about the snap warning that I'm sure you guys are here in Davos, on top of what we got from Target and Walmart and Ross stores, are potentially worrisome signs that the U.S. is getting closer than previously thought by investors to some sort of slowdown. Also want to bring you some interesting color from Ahmed Al-Hamadi. He is a, a CIO at the Qatar Sovereign Wealth Fund, which, which is part of the conversation. We don't get to talk to the sovereign wealth funds very much, so it's always interesting. They move a lot of money around. He's particularly engaged in the, in the private markets and investing in private companies where he says, David, there are a lot of down rounds now and that they are starting to reflect more of the reality, for instance, that we're getting in the public market. There was a little disagreement on the panel about that, whether private markets are, are sort of as uh, negative as what we're seeing in the public markets. But he's, su he's suggesting that you're going to see down rounds and may even see a lot less fundraising activity going forward. So clearly the, the discussion is about the changing economic fundamentals and how that's being reflected in the markets. But I wouldn't say it's too doomy and gloomy, not too pessimistic. And maybe that's just because leaders by nature are, are usually more optimistic. We'll talk to one in the next hour of Squawk on the Street. Sanjay Marotra joins us. He's the CEO of Micron, which is right in the heart of supply chain issues, questions about demand, and of course, geopolitical issues. Everything from Taiwan to Russia, to China. Carl, so I'll see you next hour for that interview. Uh, fascinating. There's been really good color uh, out of Davos uh, this year in particular. It's nice to have everybody back there, Sarah. We'll see you in a bit. Uh, markets holding in. Dow's down 130 despite some of the retail blowups. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, guys. Uh, two steps forward, uh, one step backward for the uh, for the S&P 500. I uh, want to take a look at some of the sectors right now at the open because uh, Meta is really weighing on uh, the overall S&P right now. Semiconductors are also notably weak. So some of the big cap tech names are weak. Retail, of course, are weak. So there's your two weakest sectors uh, right now. And of course, the market's got a defensive tone somewhat. Healthcare doing better. Consumer staples a little better. Hershey's, uh, uh, General Mills, Procter & Gamble, uh, a little more stable, but only fractionally here. Uh, in terms of big cap tech, I just want to note, it uh, looks like Meta is the biggest decliner on the uh, S&P 500 right now, and that obviously related to the snap news. Uh, but Google and big cap uh, semis like NVIDIA Micron are also 
uh, notably weaker here. Uh, David mentioned Corey Barry's comments, the Best Buy CEO, but I just want to put it up because I think it reflects the overall sentiment and the concern that April saw some notable deterioration. Macro conditions worsened, so we provided our guidance in early March, which resulted in our sales being slightly lower than expectations. Those trends have continued into the second quarter, and as a result, we're revising our sales and profitability expectations for the year. However, on the conference call, she was asked about recession chances and sort of clarified uh, what they were saying here. She said, it's fair to say that we are factoring in elements of softer demand, but we are not planning for a full recession. I think important clarification for them. But you know, re regardless here, uh, these companies, it seems like the April Companies with the April ending quarter are reporting some deterioration demand, particularly on the retail side. So if you want a retail trend here, the two that seem clear to me is we saw some deterioration in April, whether you want to call it climate issues for some people or inflation issues for some people or demand issues, whatever. There was some deterioration and earnings estimates for retailers are starting to come down. Consumer discretionary is one of the few groups where earnings estimates are actually coming down. I've been annoyed about this for weeks now about the earnings estimates not going down, but they are for the retail area. In terms of what to walk, uh, watch for, Nordstrom's going to be reporting. I would watch Costco. That's going to be the big one. That'll be on Thursday at the close. Remember, this company is the classic big subscription model out there. Uh, their, their multiple has gone down dramatically from about 45 to 32 in a month. So there's multiple compression. But this is the classic earnings growth company. Steady, great quality earnings growth consistently. Any problems here is going to be a big, big surprise. As I said, there's been multiple compression, but earnings estimates not coming down. We'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, I think uh, the social media story, I mean, that's another little leg to this idea that April saw some deterioration and not just in retail here. Uh, they seem, Snap seems to have seen a major global macro deteriorations, not just the costs are up, but even advertising maybe being cut there. So this is this whole idea that April saw some kind of deterioration. In terms of the big three that was moving market, there's nothing really new on the horizon right now that's changing the overall narrative. The Fed inflation are still thing, two, three big issues, Fed inflation, Russia, Ukraine, and COVID lockdown in China. Carl, I'd watch, at least everyone's messaging me, for these big three issues, it's the PCE on Friday. We need signs inflation is not stabilizing, but slowly moving to a downtrend. This is going to be a long, drawn-out process, but PCE will be the big economic number this week. That'll be on Friday. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. Yeah, we do have some uh, some good prints coming up. Uh, Bob Bassani, thanks. When we come back, as uh, Sarah said, her interview with Micron's Sanjay Marotra from Davos, Dow down 168. You do have Apple below 140 again. And the 10-year close to a one-month low on the yield, lowest since April 27th. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.